Now we're going to shift gears into studying God's Word, as we always do together on Sunday morning. And so I'm actually going to ask Michael to stay up here for this, and, and he's going to help me in a way. And I'm going to ask for your help here in a moment as we read the Scriptures. So grab your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 1, if you would. As you know, if you're new to Faith Church, we uh, always just really encourage you to bring a Bible with you to our worship gathering. And if you don't have a Bible on your lap, you can always open your device and a Bible app on your phone or on your iPad. But uh, we love to put our finger in God's Word and to follow along with what we're learning. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin by reading the Scriptures the scripture passage in Acts 1 that we're going to study together this morning. And so, um, no pressure, Michael, but um, you get to read the words of Jesus. Yeah. You are not Jesus. That's for sure. Just ask Donna. But, but yeah. But you're about to play one on TV. So, so that you're about to play him on TV. And, and then, um, church family, uh, when we get to a spots in, two spots in the passage, I have... Uh, a script on the screen for you to participate as well. So Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while Jesus was with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together... They asked him, here's where I need you, church family, playing the part of the disciples, his followers, asking Jesus a question. Uh, so they come together. They ask him, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, church family, speaking uh, the words of these angels, go ahead. Then they returned, his followers returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. Join me in prayer, church family. Father, just as the uh, 
men and women uh, in this text went, went to prayer and you, we come to prayer to you. And uh, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. And uh, we uh, look expectantly to what you would have to teach us uh, in Acts as we learn about the church and how that applies uh, to us here, this chapter of your church, Lord, your body. We sang this morning, uh, our God does great things. We know you do great things, Lord. And so um, we uh, look expectantly to what you have, what great things you have for us to do on your behalf for your glory here in this church. I think of scripture in Proverbs, which says, wait on the Lord. Take heart and be courageous. And then it says again, wait on the Lord. So Lord, we wait on you what you have to do through us. We wait on you for who that man or those men are that would join this leadership team. Uh, and we, we just thank you for your goodness uh, that it's running after us, Lord. Mm -hmm. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. Well, you may or may not know today is, uh, is much fun because we are kicking off a new series, and the series is titled Witnesses, and we are going to study our way through a book in our Bibles called Acts, and uh, oh man, Acts. If you've had a chance to read the book of Acts before, Acts, God's unfolding plan and purposes prevailing, Jesus ascended into heaven, still reigning and ruling over all things and actively involved in our lives. The Holy Spirit, God himself, coming to dwell within his people and empower them for what he has called us to. The church then, believers in Jesus that are, that are empowered by the Spirit. Church is not a building, right? Church is his people, and so we have this in Acts as well, the beginnings of the church and God working in and through his people for his purposes, uh, allowing us as his people to partner with him in his rescue mission to the world, bringing life, life now and life forever. This Acts, church family Acts, is God at work in his people and through his people according to his good purposes. Uh, Acts is... The church of God, the people of God, impacting the world for God's glory. So, if we think that life following or serving or obeying Jesus is boring, we haven't looked at Acts in a while. So, I want to say, buckle up, right? Because I'm excited to see what, what God has for us as we, un, uh, as we study the scripture together. So I, on one hand, I want to say buckle up. And on the other hand, I want to say do whatever you need to do in the next few minutes to engage and pay attention. So if it's cold and you need to go to the back and do some jumping jacks while I'm talking, that is just fine. Buckle up, stand up, move around, do whatever. Let's ask God to teach us um, through his word. So we'll take a look back through these verses that we already read. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I, okay, who's writing? I is Luke, the, the, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. At the beginning of our New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four stories of the life of Jesus. 
And Luke has already authored one of the gospel stories, the book in your Bible called Luke. And so then he starts writing this book called Acts. And here's what he's saying in the very first verse, if you're following along in your word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I, Luke, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Who is he writing to? O Theophilus. Theophilus, the word Theophilus means lover of God. So it's possible that he's using this name just as a symbolic person to write to, representing anybody who has recently become a follower of Jesus or is interested in possibly following Jesus. But I don't think that's possible that it's a symbolic name. But I also don't think there's any reason for us to just assume, to, to not assume that it's a person, a real person that Luke cares about and that Luke's writing to to explain not only the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in his former book, Luke, but now writing the book of Acts, wanting Theophilus to see the continuing story of Jesus. So now look at that phrase. Luke says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's in his first book. I wrote what Jesus began to do. So what's the implication? The implication is that Luke will now write about what? More. The continuing story. If in Luke he wrote about what Jesus began to do, he's saying that in, in Acts uh, he is now going to write all about what Jesus continues to do and teach. This book of our Bible is, is titled Acts of the Apostles or Acts of His Disciples. But man, we're going to study Acts and you're going to see so much and we could easily say that this book is Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering and death by many proofs. He appeared to them during 40 days and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Now we're going to cover several more passages today. We've got the whole book of Acts in front of us. Uh, you know, and here, here I am pausing at one phrase in verse 3. One, the kingdom of God is one phrase in one verse, and, and it would be easy to just keep going into all the excitement that the book of Acts has, but for, for one moment, let's take a moment and just think together about the kingdom of God. Uh, one of my professors in seminary, uh, who became a mentor, and he and his wife were mentors to Amy and I, and uh, so I had multiple classes with Mark and, and multiple uh, conversations with Mark. His name is Mark Sosi, and actually some of you know that he came here to teach us from God's Word a few years ago. So this professor of mine uh, in, in class one day, this, this verse came up, Acts chapter 1 verse 3, and this phrase, the kingdom of God. And, and here's what Mark's approach to it was. He's, he said, what? A 40-day seminar on the kingdom of God? I wish I could have been there. You know, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. I think that we could keep reading the Acts. We could keep going in verse and verses and verses and excitement that's coming. Or we could go like my professor and go, whoa, Jesus appeared to them over 40 days. It was a 40-day seminar on the kingdom of God. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, right? What was Jesus teaching his, his followers about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, is, and, some, and elsewhere in Scripture, you'll also see it referred to as the kingdom of heaven, 
You'll hear Jesus refer to his kingdom, so it could easily be the kingdom of Christ as well. Um, The kingdom of God is a phrase that is um, just reminding us that God has present, tense reign and rule and authority over all things. The kingdom of God being established means that God reigns and has authority over all things. Amen? And Jesus, when he was here on earth with us, he said this about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came and lived among us and, and said, the kingdom is, is here. It's arriving. It's, it, with my arrival, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. There is truth when we consider that God reigns from on high and that he has kingly authority over all things now and moving forward. That's true. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're going to see, <clears throat> as we study Acts and as you study the rest of your Bible, you'll see at different times what is true about the kingdom of God. And sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of God, we use expressions like this, uh, that, there is, that it's already but not yet. There are aspects of the kingdom of God that are true, that the kingdom is inaugurated, it has arrived, it has begun, but there are also aspects of the kingdom of God that are not yet that are coming to full fruition when Jesus returns and sets all things right and reigns in the new heavens and the new earth. So another, another expression similar is fulfillment without consummation. We have fulfillment of the kingdom of God came with the arrival of Jesus, but full consum, consummation, full fulfillment of all that the kingdom of God will be is yet to come. So, In the book of Acts, we see this expression, kingdom of God, six times. And of the six times in the book of Acts that we hear the expression, kingdom of God, two are at the beginning and two are at the end of the whole book of Acts. Two mentions of kingdom of God at the beginning and two at the end. And so it's Luke. God writing this book through Luke is basically framing the book of Acts with this concept and the importance of of the kingdom of God. And I think what that says is that the book of Acts is God's ongoing proclamation that the kingdom of God is here and coming. That Acts, that the book of Acts tells the story, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, the the arrival of Jesus, the gospel good news that in Jesus we too can have life. That's what Acts is all about. So when we hear that phrase, the kingdom of God, and this 40-day seminar that we seem to have missed out on, at least there's not much detail in that one verse, but we have the opportunity, church family, to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and learn and be trained and learn how to live as citizens of his kingdom. And so, just like he um, appeared after his death to his disciples, and and during that 40 days he taught them about the kingdom, I want to urge you to seek after God, to seek Jesus in the words of Scripture, to use the book that God has given you, his word, to learn about the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom of man. 
the ways of Jesus' kingdom, it's like an upside-down kingdom. It's like a backwards kingdom. If we really look to see the ways of Jesus, the way that Jesus would have us live, we'll see that it's a complete contrast to the ways of the world. And there's a pastor and an author named Paul David Tripp who I just read in a devotion recently, and he was talking about this ongoing battle of kingdoms that's going on within us. A battle of my kingdom or God's kingdom. The battle within all of us that is my kingdom, all about me, living as a king in my own kingdom, my ways, my preferences, my opinions, the way I would do things, that, that battle going on within between my kingdom and learning to live as a citizen of God's kingdom, living out the ways of Jesus. Well, if I take that long on the rest of the passage, you're going to be here a while, so let's keep going. Let's go down to verse 6. Because Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, because he appeared to his followers, and because he had this 40-day seminar on the kingdom, look at verse 6. Because he's talking about the kingdom, his followers, the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, the disciples likely still had a different perception of what uh, it would mean when Jesus arrived. They, they, had, they had been reading and hoping for the coming promised rescuer. God's people had long been hoping for the arrival of God's promised rescuer, the Messiah, Jesus. And so now that he's arrived, his people can't help but kind of have these preconceived notions about what that would mean, that the arrival of the promised rescuer would certainly mean the restoration of God's people and things put back the way we want them. And the way they likely were picturing it was that the arrival of the promised Messiah would bring about a, um, a, political, a geopolitical kingdom, a physical location kingdom, a, a, a kingdom with earthly authorities, a kingdom with military power to drive out the Romans and establish God's people like God had been doing in the Old Testament over and over, establishing his people under God. So, so in some ways, they naturally, his disciples naturally wondered, hey, so now that you're here, and now that you've lived and died and rose again, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' answer is this. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus doesn't reject. Um, Jesus, he, he fields their question. And he doesn't reject their interest in, in Israel's role and in, 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 in what the plans for the future of God's people look like. Jesus doesn't reject their interest in what the, the end times will be and the restoration of God's people and, and all that is to come. But what he does say is he does reject them trying to calculate the timing. He does reject their, their, their maybe over-anticipation of understanding the timing. God's promises of restoration for his people are, are being fulfilled, are about to be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, but you just don't need to worry uh, or figure out when. So that brings us to verse 8. And this, this, might be, this might be the key verse of the entire book of Acts. This might be one of the most significant verses in the scriptures, in my opinion. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus continues his words to his disciples by saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, 
and you will be my, what, church family? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I think oftentimes we're, as followers of Jesus, are very interested in questions like these. Who are we? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We we may have those questions individually, but then certainly we gather together as a church family and we have questions like that collectively. What's this all about? Why are we a church family? Why do we gather? Why has God brought us together? What uh, What is this all about? What does God have for us to do? And one of the most important verses in Acts says, Jesus says to us, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will testify to what you've seen. You will represent me to a world who needs me. So let's take just a couple minutes and think about some things related to chapter 1, verse 8. The first one I want to just make sure that we, we catch on to here is that all Christians are witnesses. All Christians, all followers of Jesus, all of you that have given your life to Jesus have been empowered by the Spirit, and you are all to be testifiers, proclaimers, disciple-makers, helping as God has reconciled you to him, as God has made you in right relationship with him, you are called to be ministers of reconciliation, of helping others be reconciled to God as well. And yes, yes, in context, in the passage we just read, yes, It is Jesus speaking to the 12 disciples, to to those original apostles. And and those original apostles have a unique perspective because those apostles saw Jesus' resurrection, saw Jesus' body alive. And so, yes, chapter 1, verse 8 is saying, you 12, you will be my witnesses. You will go tell people what you've seen. But very much so, this verse, because of what we see elsewhere in Scripture, we certainly know that this verse also comes to us as well. That the Bible calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. That the Bible calls all of us as believers to be ambassadors, representatives of Jesus to the world who needs him, proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. Those who, disciples, followers of Jesus who make disciples, Disciples who don't just, don't just sit and dwell and, and, and be happy to be where I'm at and hey, thank you God for your love for me, but disciples, followers who then help others meet and know and follow Jesus. We have a, we have a very outward focused God. We don't have a a me-first God. We don't have a a God who set the world spinning and then left it alone. We have have an outward-focused God, a God who sees and knows and loves all people and wants to rescue all people. And because of that, we have a faith. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have a faith that is to be outward-focused. We have a God who is ascending God, who sent his son into the world and whose son came to the world and in turn said the words, Father, as you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I send them. 
We have ascending God, and we are to be sent people. I was, I was convicted this week. Um, I was really convicted this week about this as I studied this passage and I thought about the glorious good news that God is an outward-focused God. I was convicted because of what a contrast that is to my default selfish nature. Trying to like bask in the glorious reality that God is outward focused, that he comes after you and me, that he wants sinners to be reconciled to him, that he wants people to have a better life in in front than damnation and separation from him, that we have an outward focused God who comes and brings life is such a contrast to my inward selfish focus, the way I would default if it weren't for God's work in me. So church family, whatever your roles are, whatever your your roles are in life, whatever your jobs are, whatever your relationships, whoever you have relationships with, in in all of those areas, in our hobbies, in in the places we live, all of that is to be lived out more so than those identities. All of those areas and roles and places are to be lived out in our identity as sons or daughters of our loving Father, as sent missionaries proclaiming good news. That's the identity we have that is to be lived out. So where do we start? I mean, sometimes we hear this call that we are to be sent people. We hear that we are to be witnesses, and it can be a little overwhelming. So where do we start? I say we start in our spheres of influence. We start with relationships that we already have. Yes, God may call you uh, uh, across the street or across the world, but, but the place to start in living sent is the people that God already has you involved with and in, in relationship with and the people that he's going to bring into your life tomorrow. Who is in your spheres of influence? Who is in your family and your coworkers and fellow students and those you come in contact with? And, and then what do we do with that? What do we ask God to do in helping us to live as sent people? Let's think long-term, not short-term. Instead of drive-by, tell them a message one time and hope for the best. Let's think of the people that God's already put us around. Let's think long-term. And church family, these are things that you can do. These are things that I can do. We can listen. We can ask them questions about their life. We can listen. We can seek to understand where they're coming from. We can empathize with their difficulties. We can rejoice where they rejoice and mourn with them where they mourn. We can share our lives with them. All Christians are witnesses. Every believer in Jesus is to be a proclaimer, a disciple maker. And so uh, instead of, of calculating the timing of those future events, instead of being distracted with things that are important in, in our eyes, Instead of wishful thinking about the future, church family, let's give our time and our energy to the task that Jesus has explicitly called us to. You will be my witnesses. All Christians, all believers are to be witnesses. Number the second part of this that we want to highlight is that the witnesses reach the world. 
As, as followers of Jesus, we are to, to be his witnesses, and, and, and this verse, verse 8, is pretty clear that the, the emphasis is to the ends of the earth, to reach the world. I want to read really quick from a, one of the commentators I studied this week, um, wrote this, especially about the part of, one, of chapter 8, that, I mean, of verse 8 that says, you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen to um, what this commentator wrote. What a shock these geographical destinations must have been to the disciples. Jerusalem? Really? Jesus was just killed there. Judea? Really? They had just been, our message had just been rejected there, the disciples might be thinking. Samaria? Seriously, Jesus? You want us to minister to those half-breeds? The end of the earth? What? You mean Gentiles too? You mean not just Jewish people, God's people, but all people? What a shock. These geographical designations must have been to the disciples. These words were not only spiritually revolutionary, but socially and ethnically unheard of. Followers of Jesus are our calling to be witnesses, to be conduits of God's love, has got to cross social boundaries and ethnic lines so that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation can know that Jesus is king. The witness is reach the world. And the other thing about this verse 8 and this geogra- these geographical designations that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they're kind of concentric circles too. And they're a preview, they're a map, they're a layout of the book of Acts that we're about to study. Jesus says, you, follower of Jesus, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you're going to see as we study through Acts that there's going to be God's work in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And um, here's what's interesting, though. The book of Acts ends in Rome. Is that as far as God had in mind, do you think? Is that as far as God had in mind, do you think? In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the book of Acts in our Bible, the written part that's written down so far, ends in Rome. Well, you know what that tells me? It implies that you and I are part of the the thing. God's inviting us in. Not just those original followers of Jesus, but you, every follower of Jesus, are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book seems to stop at Rome, but guess what? You do it. You've got this. And we kind of are excited when we hear that. We kind of go, cool, I'm a follower of Jesus. He saved me. He's an outward-focused God. I don't want to be inward-focused. I want to be outward-focused. And so we kind of get excited when we hear this mission that you are to be as witnesses and the rest of the world is up to you. Go. We're kind of excited. And then the overwhelm kicks in. Right? Anybody else or just me? The overwhelm kicks in. It sounds too difficult. It sounds overwhelming. It sounds too much. And it sounds like what could me, little old sinful, inward focus, selfish focus me have to do with that mission? Well, that's the next thing we want to emphasize about what's in verse 8. The third thing is the witnesses are empowered by God himself. The witnesses are empowered by the Holy Spirit, where God calls, he empowers. Where God puts you on mission, he goes with you. 
where he gives you a task to love and serve and proclaim Jesus, he comes alongside, he indwells you through the Spirit, God himself living within you, and enables you to obey, to follow, and to live out that mission. And and there's more about the Holy Spirit coming and empowering us when we get to the day of Pentecost in chapter 2. We'll talk about this a little bit more. But suffice it to say for now that when the Spirit comes... Follower of Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you submit your life to Christ, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within you. And when the Spirit comes, followers of Jesus are radically transformed. into the, Their lives are radically transformed. And now they are equipped. Now we are empowered to live for Jesus. And that includes empowered and equipped to be conduits of God's love to others, proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus, tell people of his life, death, and resurrection, and help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. So, are these words significant in verse 8? Can we see why verse 8 is pretty significant? The last words, uh, these are Jesus' last words before ascending into heaven. In, in Matthew uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus' last words are what many of you may be familiar with, may know of as the Great Commission. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' last words on earth before ascending into heaven were, go and make disciples. You disciples, you followers of Jesus, go and be disciple makers. And here in the book of Acts, Jesus' last words before ascending into heaven are, you will be my witnesses. (laughs) And then chapter 8 leads us to verse 9. And 9 and the next couple of verses, I think, are such an interesting scene. And we've talked about this before, and you've probably even even seen me try to, like, imagine myself there before. I've probably even talked us through this before, but let's do it again. Starting with verse 9 and following, let's imagine this. Let's imagine we are Jesus' followers, we're those disciples, we're there, and let's enjoy this scene. Verse 9, and when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. This isn't just a story. This is historical fact and truth. Imagine yourself there. Don't imagine yourself a longtime Christian who's already heard this a few times. Imagine yourself there. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, do we understand? Can we relate to the fact that they're going like this? Would that probably be me too? Would that probably be you too? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood behind them in, in, or besides them in white robes. So, so you've got us, his followers. We're putting ourselves in the shoes of those original disciples. We're going, whoa. And then sidling up next to us, out of heaven, sidling up next to us are apparently a couple of angels, thus the white robes. And they say what you all said. Earlier, when we had us, you, you read it when we did the scripture reading. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way. He will return in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He rose bodily and he will return bodily. And so it's like the angels have kind of sidled up to us. We're like dumbstruck and going, whoa. And the angels have sidled up to us and gone, he's coming back. So get to it. What are you waiting for? Wipe the drool and do what he says. That's, that's, to me, that's what the angels are sidling up to him saying. And here's the deal. What, they just, what we just imagined ourselves watching, he was lifted up. He, a cloud took him out of their sight. What's the significance of this in God's word? Is it just a fun story so we can chuckle at the apostles who were drooling? Or is there something significant to the fact that Jesus just got raised out of sight? The ascension, this is called the ascension. We have Jesus' life. We know that he, was, that he was crucified, dead, buried, raised again to new life, appeared to his disciples. There was a 40-day seminar about the kingdom of God that we all wish we could have been at. And then this cloud takes him out of his sight. The ascension is extremely significant because, here, help me out. The fact that we just watched him go, what does that say about where he is? Tell me. He's in heaven. He is where in relation to God? He is at the right hand of the Father. He is back where he belongs. Is he, he seems absent to our human understanding. If we had been disciples 2,000 years ago with him and just watched him go into heaven, he would seem absent. There would be aspects that we might be bummed about because his physical presence wasn't walking next to us anymore. But friends, his body rose bodily into heaven where he reigns at the right hand of God. This book is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus is absent. Jesus seems absent. He's ascended, but he's not absent. Jesus is absolutely actively involved and continuing to reign. That's the significance of the phrase, the right hand of the Father, is to show us that he is still king, ruling over all. And we know uh, from elsewhere in Scripture what, what Jesus' current role looks like. We sometimes think a lot of his past role, his life, death, and resurrection, but Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father, very much present, very much continuing to reign. The Bible calls, us, calls him our mediator, the only mediator between sinful men and, and a holy God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, that Jesus currently is actively praying for you. That brings hope. And then on top of that, that God himself through the Holy Spirit would indwell us and empower us and enable us. So then verse 12 says that the disciples returned to Jerusalem. And then verse 14 says, all these, all these followers of Jesus with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I love that Michael, Michael's prayer before we started this morning, Michael's prayer incur, in, uh, included encouragement that we wait well that we learn to wait on what God has for us, that we, that we wait and listen and learn. And here are the disciples in verse 14 giving us an example of what waiting well looks like. Waiting well includes unity and prayer and devoted, being devoted to prayer, learning to trust the king who reigns no matter the circumstances. So let's do this to, to wrap up. Let's just think big picture about that's, that's the number of verses that we're going to cover for today. And so as we wrap up, let's just think big picture here a little bit.
at the beginning of the passage that we studied this morning, we had a 40-day seminar on the gospel of, or on the kingdom. And, and this should be a reminder to us then that we have an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus to learn, to grow, to understand how this, this marvelous gift that's in your lap right now that we're keeping our fingers in to learn from God, this is how we have an opportunity to catch ourselves up on the 40-day seminar of the kingdom that we missed out on. It's here. So open your Bibles. And I love that we do it together. I love that we spend an hour together on Sundays. And, and listening to the gospel proclaimed and the Bible taught is an important part of following Jesus. But your time in God's word throughout the week is even more significant. And, and, and if you're not sure, let me just encourage you. You can do it. You can read it. You can have an app read it to you. There's so many tools there are so many apps. There are so many resources. There are so many great books. There's a study. I, I love my ESV study Bible. It's that thick. You might not want to carry it everywhere. But when you read God's word, there's notes right at the bottom of the page to help you understand what you're reading. If you have a follower of Jesus that you know well, uh, one of our staff, one of our elders, if another Christian that you know has a great, if, if they have a good habit of studying God's word and spending time with him each day, ask them, what do you do? How do you do that? How do you hear from the Lord? How do you know your Bible. How do you catch up on that 40-day kingdom of the, uh, the 40-day seminar of the kingdom? This is something that's worth studying. I mean, this is something worth devoting our time to, is being in God's word. And then at the end of today's passage, at the end of today's passage, we see disciples devoted to prayer. And so perhaps that should urge us to develop our prayer life. This is a worthy, significant, much-needed area of, of, our, of our spiritual disciplines, of our, of our routines of following God and, and, and learning to talk with him and hear from him. So again, this is learning to devote our lives to prayer, learning what it means to talk with him, learning that we can do it anytime, anywhere, with our eyes closed or our eyes open, on our knees or not on our knees. Learning to devote our lives to prayer is an important thing that we should Give time to. But let me just suggest that those two important spiritual practices, being in God's word and prayer, those are significant and important, but those don't change our calling. The amount of scripture you know, the way your prayer life is or is not, doesn't change our calling. Investing time in our spiritual growth and in, in learning to read the word and spend time in prayer is, is important, and we ought to do that. But doing those things is, cannot be an excuse to avoid the mission. I think too often we think, I don't know enough of the Bible yet. I can't do what he told me to do. I don't pray enough, so I'm sure I need to make some more progress there and become a better Christian before I do what Jesus said to do. And I just am encouraging you, friends, Let's not have our spiritual growth practices uh, be excuses to ignore the mission that we've been called on to be his witnesses. It's not, it's not this. It's not, as we read in our passage, it's not, okay, I need to go attend this 40-day seminar on the gospel of kingdom, and then, then maybe I'll do what he says. It's not that I need to do that, and then I can live on mission. It's both. And I'm going to suggest it's both now. 
Sit at the feet of, the Je- at the feet of Jesus and grow in your understanding of what Jesus has said and done. And at the same time, ask God to, to help you live out his mission among every tongue, tribe, and nation, starting with your spheres of influence, starting with the people that God has already put in your life. So, let's not get caught staring into heaven. Let's not get caught drooling. Jesus ascended, church family, but he's not absent. He reigns on high. He is with you and he will return. And so the angels are sidling up next to us going, get on with it. He's coming back. So go do what he says. Follow Jesus. Learn to live as citizens of the kingdom of God instead of the citizens in our own kingdoms. Follow Jesus. Put aside your own kingdom. Learn to live as citizens of, of God's kingdom. And know that the Holy Spirit of God empowers you, enables you, equips you to be his witnesses. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunities we've had this morning to consider your goodness, to sing of your goodness, to lift our eyes and to be reminded of the love that you have shown us through your son. And so we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that that his new life shows us that we too can have new life because of your good and loving rescue plan. God, we thank you that you are an outward-focused God. Would you remind us that we have an outward-focused faith that we are to live out? Would you, would you spur us today and this week with these words that we are to be your witnesses? And God, while we might have some excitement of that, we also acknowledge the, the bit of overwhelm that comes. God, that call seems too high for any one of us. That call seems too big. That worldwide reach seems far-fetched. And yet, God, thank you that you are reigning at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that you are continuing to work in and through your people. Thank you that you send your, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live within us, to empower us to live for you, to empower us for the mission you've given us, to help us live as ambassadors, reconcilers, proclaimers, disciple-makers. Father, remind us that because of you, because of being in Jesus, we have been reconciled. We have been made right with you. We have been forgiven of sin. We have been brought in, out of the dark and into the light, out of death and into new life. And so, God, as we have been reconciled, would you push us out to be conduits of your love and ministers of reconciliation so that others would find you and salvation that is only in Jesus. So in our spheres of influence and the people you've already given us in our lives, would you help us to listen and care and love and help and serve and give and pray and share? Not for us to earn points, not for our own benefit, but all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.